Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, needing you, loving you, believing in you. And we thank you for this series, Let's Follow Jesus. And we ask you to speak from heaven today in an uncommon way to the depths of our heart, the deep would call to deep, and that all of your depths of eternity would roll over our soul to touch us, bless us, heal us, and make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. We're in a series this summer called Let's Follow Jesus. So today, our message is follow me. Follow me on the Lordship of Christ. Matthew 9, 9 says, And as Jesus passed forth from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, or at the customs house. He said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. This is the conversion of Matthew. That's a pretty brief sermon, isn't it? He walks by Matthew, looks at him, and says, come on. And he gets up, apparently leaves his profession, and who knows what else? I'm sure his uh, squash um, or racquetball appointment was just going to be canceled. He, wasn't gonna, he was going to be a no-show, and he followed Jesus Christ the rest of his life. And so we want to talk about that today. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? What does it mean for him to be Lord? Because these days, Jesus isn't going to walk through the room physically and say, follow me, and you're going to get up and walk out whichever door he walks out of. And if he turns right, you turn right. He is at the Father's right hand in heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. But today, we can still respond to that call, follow me by recognizing that Jesus Christ needs to be the Lord of our life. Let's talk about this concept of Lord. The concept of Lord. Philippians 2 says that God had raised, has raised Jesus Christ up and given him the name that's above every name or the title, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess or declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord is kurios, that's Greek. You've got it on your notes there. And the question is, well, so what? God has given him this name, and it's not just, well, you, you know, you've had a son, and let's just call him John. No, this, is a, this isn't a name. It's a title. It's a position. So what does this mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Lord does not mean great guy, exalted one, admirable fellow, coolest of the cool. He is just so wonderful so amazing, all those things are true, but that's not what Lord means. 
The word Lord is a statement of authority and power. We have words like that. Uh, our words for Lord are boss, chief, king, supervisor, leader, master, overlord, governor, monarch, emperor, head of state, kaiser, superior, employer. What does that mean? It means he says, I do. It means if he wants it, I go get it. If he sends me, I go. If he says stop, I stop. He is my commanding officer. He is Lord. Luke 6.46, Jesus says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The very simple implication that we say to Jesus, Lord, and who, which, of, which of you, when you pray, don't say Lord at some point? Okay, so you call him Lord all the time, every time you pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. When we say that, we're saying this is the boss's prayer. This is the prayer my commanding officer taught me to pray. And Jesus says, now why is it you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Now what's the problem with this of, of the word Lord meaning superior officer, our king, our monarch? Well, the fact is we were born rebels. Someone said, I'm against the idea of bishops unless I can be one. The only way we like the idea of, a, of leadership is if we can be the leader. We hate for any other person to tell us what to do. Any of you that have had children realize children are born with this. As soon as they can, uh, well, before they can walk, and even before they can talk, they have already figured out at times what you want, and they want to do something else, and they see if they can get away with it. And you probably could talk to your mom or your dad, and they would have some wonderful stories about dealing with you yourself in the same area. We were born rebels. We hate for anyone else to tell us what to do. But this concept of lordship, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that when you invite him into your heart, he doesn't come in just as a friend, a companion. He comes in as the king, and there can't be two kings. This is probably the most important truth in the Christian life. In fact, it says Jesus died to bring this about. Romans 14, 8 through 9 says, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. I'm sure we got you in there somewhere. You're either the dead or the living, and Jesus Christ died that he could be your boss, your supervisor, your emperor, your monarch, your king. And what does that mean? He says, you do. He says, stop, you stop. He says, I want you to do this. You say, yes, sir. That's what it means for him to be Lord. Now, let's look at the, how this truth plays out in the life of a person. So we're giving this, uh, preparing this talk today, and I couldn't figure out why because I've given it so many times. And finally, I realized, well, I've always given it to college students. And it's totally different when someone's 19 and they still have met, not made these major decisions in their life of their mate, their mission, their, their values, all these kind of things. It's totally different when someone's 25, 35, 45, 55. There are different issues. So I want to look at four different aspects of the Lordship of Christ. Let's look at, there are several aspects, and I've just 
found enough seas to do it here. The first aspect of the Lordship of Christ is conversion. The second, capitulation. The third, cleansing. The fourth, culmination. And that's what we're going to pretty much talk about this whole morning. For conversion, I, I got the picture of a child in a cradle. For capitulation, I have the picture of a crown. For the aspect of cleansing, I have a, a, a crucible heated in the fire. And for culmination, I thought, well, I'm not going to put a, a gravestone there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to get something more positive. How about a capstone? So uh, I realize that's a keystone, not a capstone, but most people haven't, aren't brick masons, so I figured they might not know. Well, let's look at this. Let's start off with the first one, conversion. This is the first place that you encounter the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is where you receive him as Savior. Example we have is in Matthew, Matthew 9, 9, where Jesus passes by and he says, follow me. He didn't just say, believe in me. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, it's implicit that you can't receive half of him. You can't receive him just with the Savior hat and not the Lord crown. Not that everybody understands that and all that it implies. But this is where a person turns to Christ, turns away from their old life, turns away from known sin, and receives the grace and love and forgiveness of God. The Bible says you are born again, born to new life. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but has already passed out of death into life. And the last word there, it says religion. You'll see in that category there, it says no to. Say no to religion. In conversion, what you're saying is it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to just go to church. You must be born again. You must be truly converted. And I hope that it, particularly if you're visiting today or have just been coming in the recent weeks, that you don't ever get the impression that we could care less about whether or not you're Presbyterian or whether or not you're a member of the church. We'd love to have you, etc. I'm not saying we don't want you. Of course we want you. But I'm just wanting to underline here that the main thing about Christianity is Jesus Christ. And we're not here to compete with any other churches. We're just here to proclaim Christ. And we'd love to have you all the time you'd like to be here. But the main thing we hope you get out of any moment that you're with our congregation is to look away from religion and look to a relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I came to Christ 36 years ago in a little Presbyterian church in the middle of Marion, Alabama, and I have never been the same. That was the turning point in my whole life. And I wonder this morning if you can say for sure that you've been converted. Have you said no to just being religious and said yes to the reigning King Jesus in your life. But since we've already talked about that particular one a number of times, I want to move on because I want to say a little bit more about some of the other ones. The second aspect of the Lordship of Christ is capitulation. That was, that's where you raise the white flag. I give up. I turn myself in. That's where you recognize the sovereign. With the example we, I would like to point out today is Paul when he fell to the ground on the road to Damascus. 
as he was going there to persecute Christians. And he, and he says, I fell to the ground and heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And I answered and said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. And then in verse 10 he says, so I said, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? The idea that we need to crown him king. We need to recognize him as sovereign. Now, I didn't say here that we need to make him king, that we need to make him Lord. I say we need to recognize that he is Lord. When you were growing up, and maybe you went through a rebellious time in your teenage years, you didn't have to, if you wanted to make things right, you didn't have to make your father be your father. You just had to recognize him as your father. He already is your father. You can either choose to be obedient or rebellious, but your attitude doesn't change his status. Jesus is Lord. God's already declared it. You just get to pick whether or not you're going to be a rebel or a a loyal uh, citizen of the kingdom. And Paul says, Lord, who are you? And when he says, I'm Jesus, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? I wonder if that question is written on your heart today. That when you approach decisions and situations, that the main question in your heart isn't, I wonder what I'd like to do. It's, Lord, what do you want me to do? And in capitulation, we say no to rebellion. That natural tendency in ourselves, to if an authority figure says A, we want to do B. If they say B, all of a sudden A starts looking pretty good. I wonder today, have you had a coronation ceremony in your own life where you have recognized Jesus Christ to be your Lord with the right to give his opinion and his orders over every area of your life? What kind of things does it come up in? Do you realize there's still people that are not tithing? And it's not because they've done a Bible study on it and discerned it's God's will that I don't tithe. He said, they've just got other reasons. But none of them came from heaven. There are other people that say, I'm just not going to get involved in a small group. Why? Have you prayed about it? Is this what the Lord says? No, I just don't want to. A a men's retreat, a women's retreat comes up. Are you going to go on the retreat? Nah, I'm really not interested, or it makes me uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Me, 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 I, 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 Jesus is not Lord. I'm not judging you. Your conscience is judging you right now. You know, there are two wrong assumptions when it comes to this thing of capitulation and saying Jesus is Lord. Because many people would say, well, I believe Jesus is Lord and he's my Lord. But they make two wrong assumptions. One is, if it's something, if the decision to be made, if it's something I like, then it's probably his will. If I like it, I bet he likes it. So you just end up doing whatever you want and figuring God is a God of wonderful grace and mercy. And so if I like it, he likes it, and it's all fine. Not necessarily. There are plenty of cases in the Bible where someone wanted to do one thing, and God says, well, I want you to do this other thing. Second wrong assumption is, if I hate it, it's probably God's will. You know, you have your your people that are uh, narcissists, and then you have your people that they're masochists. So if it's bad, it's probably for me. If it's painful, then that's probably God's will for me. If I like this, then I should probably give it up. If I hate it, that's probably God's will. Well, that's just as wrong. God loves you. He wants wonderful things for you. It's just not always what you had thought would be what you'd want. 
God is not, Jesus Christ is neither our butler to do everything we want, and he's also not our bully. He's not the killjoy in heaven that as soon as you start having a good time and everything's going okay, he says, he hits you and says, cut that out. You're not supposed to be so happy. He loves you. This is a benevolent dictatorship, and his service is perfect freedom. Have you had a coronation ceremony in your life to say, from now on, not my will, but thine be done, with my money, with my time, if I watch TV, how much TV I watch, what movies I watch, who I hang around with, my pastimes, whether or not I get up and read the Bible in the morning, that all those decisions, my main question will be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Third aspect of the Lordship of Christ. And up until here, normally when I would give a talk on the Lordship of Christ, this, I would have ended with what I just ended with. But there are many people here that you are, have really asked Christ into your life, and as far as you know, you have surrendered to his Lordship. But there are two other aspects I want to bring out that often, that also come up in life. And this is the third aspect of cleansing. And this is where we need to release the sacrifice. Release the sacrifice. Abraham is our picture, Genesis 22. We won't look at it just due to time. But you're familiar with the story where God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, which is present-day Jerusalem. Now, he had promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a son, and they waited 25 years. Finally, they have a son in answer to the promise. It was a good gift of God, and then God tells him, when he's about 12 years old, to go up and kill him on a mountain. He says, this can't be God. And he didn't end up needing to kill him anyway. The point was, God wanted to be sure that there was no rival in Abraham's heart with him. As precious as anything or anyone else is in your life, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with our, all our mind, and with all our strength. And there are times when even good things crowd Jesus out of his place. And that's how a good thing becomes used in a bad way. And he, in one aspect of lordship, is saying no to any rivals. I wonder today what is competing with your love for Christ. For some people, it's money. For some, it's TV or movies. For some people, it's a person or a pastime. I wonder how your Christian life is today. It's not as though you ever feel like everything's great. We were talking uh, Friday night when we had the prayer meeting with the men about how as much as the, it seems like the harder you try in terms of righteousness and walking with the Lord the more ways you find to mess up and be disappointed. It reminded me in my first year as a Christian where I had uh, fallen in love with the Lord and a couple of months had gone by, and I remember writing in my notebook because I'd messed up somehow and felt bad about it. I said, well, Lord, that's enough of that. From now on, I commit myself to not sinning anymore. Well, that didn't go well either. So... I had a friend one time who, who was just very grieved that he was so proud, and so he was really working on it. This was at college, and 
And he came to me and says, you know, I'm really frustrated because I, I, I felt so proud, so I worked on it, really worked at being humble, and I got more humble, and, and, I, and, and then I got proud about that. <laughs> so we're not saying that you're going to get to a place uh, where you feel like everything's fine. In fact, it actually works the other way around. The better you get, sometimes the worse you feel. Not in a complete sense. I mean, you're, you're happy in him. But when you look at your own life, you're more and more aware of wrong motives, bad attitudes, critical spirit. I mean, maybe some of the bigger things that used to be a problem, they're not a problem anymore. But now some of the lesser things, you, it's like you're more sensitive to it. Do you realize that's the Holy Spirit in your life? I remember the interview in uh, Time magazine at one point with one of these publishers of a pornographic magazine, and he mentioned, he mentioned that he was Catholic. And the, the interviewer said, well, do you ever go to confession? He said, what for? He said, I haven't done anything wrong. Do you realize that the very fact that you feel as bad as you do about yourself is an indication in terms of your righteousness and what you've attained to? That's an indication that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in you, sensitizing your conscience, turning up the light so bright that you notice more dirt that was there before, you just didn't notice it. But there are times when God puts his hand on one particular thing or area in your life, and he says, I want you to back off of that. I want you to give that up. He told Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him. But is Isaac bad? Isaac's not bad. What you've done with Isaac is bad. You've put him in my place. And that can't be tolerated. It's not good for you. It's wrong. I want you to know today that God is not looking at, at, at the precious things in your life and saying, let's see, what can I ask him of? This is so much fun. Uh, he's not a slash and burn terrorist in your life. That as soon as you have something or someone you love, he says, okay, that's the end of that. He's a loving surgeon that only cuts if it's cancerous. And he also only operates if it's necessary. He only makes an incision as big as it needs to be. His aim is to heal, not to hurt. It may hurt, but it will bring life. He's not a killjoy. He's a surgeon. So you can trust him. For years, I felt called to go to France. I'd become a Christian in 1971, and I loved France. I loved French. I liked French food. I knew that people say that the French are, that no one can stand them. But I thought, I am called, and God will give me the grace to love them just the way they are, even if they always criticize how horribly I butcher the language, which they would. And 10 years later, the Lord closed the doors to France and opened the doors to Argentina. I had never liked Spanish. Sorry about that. I had never really liked or been felt drawn to Latin America. When they'd asked me, where do you feel called to go? This shows I'm not prophetic. <clears throat> I said, France, Germany, Europe, or Africa. And so when they came back a year later and says, how about Argentina? I thought, were you just wanting to know where I wanted to go so you could send me somewhere where I didn't want to go? I shouldn't have thought that, but I did. And so I began praying desperately, God, I didn't need you to say much to go to France, but I really need something to go on here. 
And the Lord led me three days later to the book of Jonah, where Jonah was also asked to go to a place he didn't want to go to because of what God was going to do. But in my life, that was like an Isaac. It was something that was perfectly okay. It was something that I wanted. It's just that God wanted something else. And I had to go to Mount Moriah and kill it. Three years later, when we were in language school in Costa Rica, talking with someone, they said, well, our mission board would send you to France. I don't want to go to France. I want to do his will. That's all I need to know. Lord, what do you want? I'm ready to do it. Reporting for duty, sir. I'm your penny. You can spend me any way you want. Here I am. Send me. Is there an Isaac in your life that you sense God's putting his hand on and says, there's something not right with this area of your life? Are you willing to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? And do it. Now these first three, you, I have down at the bottom, that these are your decision. I put it in quotes because it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And you, it would have never occurred to you to come to Jesus Christ if he hadn't put the thought in your mind. You would never have been able to crown him king in your own life if he hadn't sensitized your heart. And you would never have been able to kiss your little Isaac goodbye if God hadn't given you the grace and the vision to do that. But this last one I'm going to say is purely his decision, this one of culmination. And in culmination, we're going to talk about responding to the scourge. This is the capstone. And these are the things that God allows in your life for some people very early in life, for many people mostly late in life. And I'm not just talking about how you die. Do you realize death comes in many installments in most, most people's lives? It might be a financial crisis. It might be loss of health. It might be a loved one. It might be a difficulty with a child, their health, of their behavior, of who they marry, of their children. And this is, these are the things that he just decides. He doesn't give you a list and say, well, Let's see, there are four things I'm thinking about. They'll all accomplish the same purpose. You want to pick? I mean, if it's something as bad as those other things that have happened, you think, well, how, would you, how could you pick anyway? I've often thought, you know, there's really, if, I don't know if you thought about it, but there's really not any great, great, great way to die, you know? I mean, you think, well, there, there's some ways that don't seem as bad as other ways, but they all have their disadvantages. And uh, some people say, oh, I'd like to die in my sleep, and I, I don't like going to other people's funerals and crying. So that would mean tonight I should die in my sleep. Well, no, I don't like the sound of that either. Let's see. H how about if I died in my sleep when I'm 70? Yeah, but I won't get to sit, tell anyone goodbye. It'll just sneak up on me. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to I like talking to people. And so... And, and if you're sick for a, a, a longer time, you get to talk to a lot of people. It might be your most evangelistic years. You were always wishing, Lord, I wish I was an evangelist. And if you have something that, that causes you to linger a year or two, it says, oh, great. 
I've just been appointed an evangelist because frankly, if you're dying of cancer, they'll let you say anything you want, you poor thing. They will take it. They would never listen to you before. They'll listen to you now. But there's no good way to die. And these are the things that are, it's just his decision. And you wonder, why this, Lord? Why that? Why this with my child? This with my marriage? This with my financial situation? Why this with my house? Why this with my friend? Why this with my health? And at this, with this aspect of the Lordship of Christ, we must say no to resentment because it was his decision. And he says he loves me, and this hurts. It's his decision, not ours. I want to I look at this example in the life of Peter in John 21. This is right after Jesus has asked Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Because supposedly some, some think that's because G Peter denied him three times, so Jesus asked him three times and sort of was restoring the relationship uh, by doing it that way. But then he says something interesting to Peter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Oh boy. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. He's read the fine print now. He says, okay, you want to sign again? Uh, following me, Peter turn, turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on, the bre on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, is this the one who betrays you? In other words, the apostle John. Peter, therefore, seeing John, said to Jesus, Lord, how about him? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What is going on here? He is foretelling the death of Peter. Peter was crucified upside down. And all the agony he saw Jesus go through, he went through. He says, when you were younger, you got to do anything you wanted with your life and make your decisions. The time is going to come when another will make the decisions for you. And, uh, and he was foretelling that he would die a martyr's death. He says, this is the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And then he says to Peter again, follow me. Well, we don't. You know, we can see just the wheels turning in Peter's mind, and he looks over, and he says, I'm not the only guy here, you know. I mean, we do have ten other guys, and uh, he's always done so much with John. And so he says, well, how about him, Lord? Is he going to die a horrible death, too, to glorify you? And Jesus says, huh, doesn't matter. I mean, what if I decide I want him to be alive until the second coming? What does that have to do with you? But you, follow me. This other person didn't get cancer. Why did I get cancer? This other person's kids, they, they don't seem to have any problems. Why do I have problems with my kids? This other person's marriage seems so happy. Mine's so troubled. How come, Lord? This other family, they didn't lose a child to sickness. We did. How about them, Lord? He says, what is that to you? You follow me. Are you going to let Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life in conversion? If you haven't asked him into your life, this is a great day to do that. 
in capitulation. Maybe you, you, you know you believe in Christ, you've asked him to come in, but you know for sure that you have not recognized him as Lord. This would be a great day for a coronation ceremony in your heart. How about in cleansing? Is there some area that you know that God knows that's a problem area? It's an idol. It's not bad in itself. You've turned it into something bad because of the place it occupies in your heart. Or in culmination, you are scared to death of dying. And you've got all these different things. Oh, gosh, it could be this, could be that. Maybe you've already got a clue of what it will be, and you're thinking about it. Try not to think about it. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Get prayer. Uh, get distracted. Respond. He has already picked out the death by which you will glorify him. And he will be with you at every moment. And if you let him, he will turn it all for good. It's going to be fine. Death is no longer a period. It's just a comma. But I want you to make the most of whatever the circumstances are that God allows in your life in installments for the culmination of your life. This is the time where you most get a megaphone to speak for Jesus Christ because the world has no answers here. And you do. It's his decision. I wonder today where you are telling God no. Where are you telling him no? There's an illustration about a speaker named Dr. Scroggy. Now, doesn't that sound Presbyterian? And he was speaking at the Keswick Convention in England years ago. And he spoke on the lordship of Christ. And afterwards, a young woman came forward who was very touched by the message. And she says, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, but I'm afraid God will send me overseas as a missionary, and I don't want to go. And he opened up the Bible to Acts 10.14 and read what you have down at the bottom of your page, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. It was in a dream he had and some, something lowered down, lowered down of the kinds of animals that Jews were forbidden to eat, and Peter said, not so, Lord. And Dr. Scroggy says, you can't really say that. You, you can either say not so and not call him Lord, or you can call him Lord and say, yes, sir. You can't say not so, Lord. And he says, he says I'm going to give you a pencil. And I'm going to let you sit here for a minute and pray, and you make your decision to choose today whom you will serve. Are you going to do what you want, or are you going to do what he wants? And with this pencil, I want you to either cross out, Lord, just admit, I reject him as my Lord, because I'm going to say no to him, or I want you to cross out, not so, and leave Lord. And he left her for a while, came back later, tears streaming down her face. He looked over his shoulder, and she crossed out, not so. Where are you telling God no today? Jesus looks straight at you today and says, follow me. What are you going to do? I want you to be assured it's not just a general, vague concept. It takes very specific forms. Perhaps you're considering dating someone that you shouldn't. Perhaps you're considering getting a divorce for non-biblical reasons. Maybe you're even thinking of stealing, cheating, not tithing, robbing God. Maybe you're not willing to get up early in the morning to meet with God, not because God told you no, it's because you told God no. 
Maybe you're not reading the Bible. Maybe you're almost never praying. Maybe you're watching way too much TV and movies. Maybe you're eating too much. Maybe you're putting your effort into pleasing others and pampering yourself. Maybe you're dead set against going on a missions trip. Maybe you're hanging on to all your money so you won't have to trust God. Beloved friend, you were made to follow him. You were made to crown him as king. This isn't an artificial add-on. This was the life you were made to enjoy. And the only thing that bumps into this and grates on it is your own and my own sinful rebelliousness. Choose this day whom you will serve. Who is going to be the Lord in your life? I'd like to ask you to stand right now, and we'll close with a word of prayer. Please close your eyes. And in a minute, I'm just going to give you a chance with everybody with their eyes closed. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. But in a minute, if you want to just tell God today in a tangible way that you want him to be Lord, that you want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life and conversion and crowning him and giving up your Isaac and in accepting whatever way he's decided you can glorify him at the end of your life, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Just put it up and then pull it back down. Lord, we want today to be a day of coronation. And right now, by the decision we make in our heart, and by raising our hand on something so simple, we want to tell heaven and earth and hell, Jesus Christ, from this day on, is my Lord. Not just my Savior, not just someone I think a lot of or believe in. He is my commanding officer. It is yours to command, Lord, mine to obey. I simply ask you to show me the way. As the scripture says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up your everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. In your own heart right now, ask the King of glory to come in. Ask Jesus to come in as your King right now. Ask him to reveal his good will in your life. Ask him for strength to embrace his will as though it were your own. Tell him right now, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Tell him right now, Lord, I'm your penny. You can spend me any way you want. Lord, someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But no one has to force us to do that. Someday all the rebels will bow. But we bow now, Lord, and say, here we are. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We hear and obey by the grace of God and for the glory of God. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. 
We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.